Welcome to Executive Presence Morsels, special book edition. Today, we have a very special guest, Patty Sanchez, Duarte's Chief Strategy Officer, who writes books, creates frameworks, and helps clients connect with audiences through persuasive persuasive presentations and story-based communications. She's the co-author of the award-winning book, Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. Patty leads an expert team of communication consultants and creative writers who help clients move their audiences in one powerful moment or in a movement over time. Patty, welcome. How are you feeling today? Very present. <laughs> I'm really excited for this conversation. Great, great. Now, um, how to read of your book, Presenting Virtually, uh, Communicate and Connect with Online Audiences. Uh, really enjoyed the book. So much of it resonated with me and, and excited to get into that. Um, before we do, just really curious, you know, I, I know the organization you work for and, and they um, published this. How did this, what's the origin story? Like, how did this all come about? Because it's, it's a very exciting uh, time, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. Well, in my current role, I had a product for the training side of our business. And in 2020, uh, like a lot of other organizations, we had to pivot. Most of our training was delivered face-to-face, instructor-led. And so I led the team that flipped our training to virtual. And in that process, uh, learned some things and codified some ways of thinking about presenting virtually that I wanted to share with people. So uh, there was a fire in my belly to get this book out as quickly as possible. I wrote it in three months. We got it printed in the fastest amount of time possible so that we could get it in your hands to help you deal with this. Uh, I hate to say new normal, but just the virtual way of working. That is our reality. Yeah. Well, uh, curious about your learnings because, um, my observation, and I've seen so many presentations throughout my career in corporate America, even in person, um, most people aren't very good at engaging people. Let's just call it like no one that's listening to this is shocked that I'm saying this. Oh, I can't yeah. believe you. Like we've all experienced it. We've sat through those presentations. And then you add to that the wrinkle of not even having the advantage of like being in a physical space, being virtual. So that yeah. must have been a tremendous kind of learning experience for you and your team. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's nice that it's a problem because it gives us a reason to exist, Duarte. Uh, but you're right. I, most presentations are bad because people don't put the uh, the effort in to make it uh, crisper, clearer, more interesting for their audience. And the same is true of virtual presentations uh, by tenfold. Uh, we did a survey a couple months back and asked people how they feel about virtual presentations. And on a scale of one to ten, they gave them a five point nine seven, which is basically a failing. Great. Yeah. So we can do better and we need to do better because this is everyone's everyday life now. Yeah. And I feel, and, and, and I love that you've provided a resource like this. I feel um, perhaps even more so than in the physical space, someone who can distinguish themselves as a really accomplished virtual presenter. That's a real career advantage. I mean, is that what you're finding? Absolutely. I, even people who are sometime presenters have become more frequent presenters in the virtual world, which just means that you can uh, get your ideas out more, more uh, frequently. You can reach more people. And so that gives you a bigger platform, just like a YouTuber like you as well, how you've developed this, I'm going to say, a virtual platform for yourself you know, in the audio form. But it, it helps you increase your reach, and that gives you more influence and impact, and that can lead 
into new job opportunities or even promotions in your current role. Maybe you'll end up starting a whole new business based on virtual communication. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The one caution I would say is um, sometimes you're a victim of your own success and you, and you get to ask to do stuff that takes you away from <laughs> the other things that, that you true. do. So that can often happen too. But it, that's a good problem to have, right? Like too yes. many people sort of, you know, trying to get your time and attention. So I won't complain. Um so let's go over some of the things that I thought um, just kind of stood out for me as just really impactful and, and would love for you to kind of bring up things that you think could help the audience as well. Um, the first thing I want to bring up is this whole idea that you shared about three layers of a virtual presentation, this 3D and, and the three layers for those who aren't familiar with Patty's book, uh, presenter, like the actual you, the person, the graphics, and the backdrop. So can you talk a little bit more about this concept and, and the role it plays in, in creating a great presentation? Absolutely. Well, when we present in person, uh, we are uh, present with our audience in an environment that we're all seeing and sharing. Uh, and a lot of times the audience doesn't notice the environment as much as you. And oftentimes your slides are really big and on a giant monitor behind you. And so their eyes are drawn to certain places. But in, in that virtual presentation environment, their focus is even more uh, concentrated on what you show them through the lens of the camera. Uh, so it acts almost like a frame that you put around a picture on your wall, like there are pictures behind me, it draws attention to what's inside the frame. And those three things are all things that your audience can see and can either be uh, impressed by, uh, communicated to through or distracted by if you don't, if you're not intentional about how you present yourself, your graphics and the environment that you're in. Yeah, I, I love that because it's such a it's such a holistic approach, right? People often think that okay, it's just the slides, or it's just the dialogue, or it's just the backdrop. But really, the you can't dissect one from the other. They all kind of work um, together seamlessly. Absolutely, and the effect is more uh, impactful on your audience when they do work together seamlessly, when you've been very thoughtful about your visuals and how they reinforce what you're saying, but also how your facial expressions and your gestures reinforce what you're saying, and also how your backdrop reinforces what you're saying, or at least says something about you and how you feel about the audience, uh, whether you've got a messy, distracting environment or you've taken some care to curate that backdrop. So it's uh, more pleasing to look at and less distracting. So I remember back in the day where I was actually asked to give an in-person presentation. And, and one thing I like to do, which is very much in line of, with what you're saying, um, however, in the physical space, I would try to go to the room where I'd be presenting the night before. And sometimes I would like move stuff around, right? Like if I thought the tables were too far away, I would actually push them closer to the front of the room. If I would move the chairs. And, and it's kind of like that same concept that you were exploring. Like you want to... Um, I don't want to say control, you want to frame things in a positive way that gets the best results. Talk to us a little bit, maybe drill down in some of the specifics of things that people may not have thought of that you share in the book that can be really small, like, you know, in terms of effort, but really impactful uh, in terms of the results. 
Yeah. Well, I mentioned the backdrop. And so uh, sometimes uh, when we're presenting virtually, we might want to use say a virtual backdrop because the environment that we're in is noisy or cluttered or something like that. And so you can make intentional choices about what kind of uh, fake background do you use and whether it is uh, related to your topic. So for instance, uh, I know people who present with a virtual background that is uh, a photo from their corporate headquarters, or their office environment. So it's mimicking being there in the office, uh, but it also is communicating something about the company and its brand. Like at Duarte, a lot of my colleagues in a more casual meeting will use a scene from our office that has the giant word Duarte as a, a wooden sculpture. And mm. it's a way of sort of conveying who their, uh, what organization they belong to, but also reminding all of us as employees what it felt like to be there together. And so it's kind of fun. Uh, but certain situations that's not appropriate where it's a higher stakes presentation and uh, you know the fake background might be distracting to your audience if you don't have a, a good green screen setup and lighting and now all of a sudden your hand and arm are disappearing from time to time and <laughs> that can be a little dis disconcerting to your audience. So you want to move to a different environment, you know, maybe go into the actual office if you can or to a different room in your house so that you can create a more uh, a kind of clean backdrop for you. And you can also make choices about what you wear as well. So many times I color coordinate with my background, although I, there needs to be enough contrast that I stand out from it. So the jacket I'm wearing today isn't the same color as the wall behind me because I don't want to disappear into that wall, but it harmonizes with the images that are hanging in the pictures on my wall. Uh, you know, I really liked what you had to say as well about the graphics and, and the simplicity um, of that. Sometimes I feel people get too enamored of the slides and they actually start to work against them. Tell us a little bit about your experience, both in the, you know, in-person and virtual training, some lessons that maybe people should be more aware of. Yeah, well, I think a, a common trait of bad presentations in person and online is is overload, information overload, busy looking slides with too much information on them or very complex graphics that are just hard for the audience to read, understand and process. And so in a virtual environment, they need to be even simpler. And a, a concept that Duarte's preached for years is one idea per slide, a big statement, a simple statement and a single graphic, but just a graphic. And then, and then you speak to the graphic. Uh, the fewer things that you put on those slides, uh, the easier it will be for your audience to quickly understand what that slide is trying to show and not be forced to split their attention between what you're saying and what they're what the, all the things the slide is saying. So you want to really pare it down to something very simple. And in a lot of ways, that also means getting rid of decoration. Uh, sometimes people, like you said, get uh, carried away with what they can do in PowerPoint and they'll add too many visual elements on the slide and busy textures or silly animations. And all of that can create another source of distraction, which you just don't want in a virtual presentation because your audience is already likely to be distracted by other things on their desktop or, or device. And so you really want to make it easy for them to stay focused on you and what you're saying. I've had to train myself very strictly to just stop it with the transitions. You know, like I could spend days on like, okay, this is this is the direction I want it to fly in. I mean, it's ridiculous waste of time. I mean, seriously, if you don't have the content down, if you don't really know what you're gonna say, just trans that's the last thing you should be worrying about. Please, exactly. Push, push and wipe. Those are nice, simple transitions. <laughs> Left and right. So one thing I really enjoyed about um, your book presenting virtually is you, it's not just a collection of um, technical 
tips and suggestions, although there's plenty of great information in it as well. You also talk a bit about the strategy um, and the connection you have to make with the audience. So um, tell us a little bit about what you found to be uh, more common with, with the more effective presenters in terms of the way they prepare and maybe the way your team helps people prepare. Absolutely. Well, strategy to me on a very simple level is about having a goal and a plan to achieve that goal. And in the form of a presentation, that's knowing what you want your audience to think, feel, or do by the time your presentation is done and figuring out what you're going to say and also how you're going to say it through the course of your presentation to achieve that shift. So we have very simple exercises uh, that, that help you plan that journey you want to take your audience on in a simple one is is a move from move to. Uh, so currently, what is your audience thinking, feeling, or, or doing related to this topic of your presentation? And then where do you want to move them to by the end? How do you want that thought, the feeling, the action to be different? And the gap, the size of the gap between the start and end point for your audience should dictate what you say, the things that you have to, the messages you have to communicate to change that thinking or that feeling, but also how you say it. And for a virtual presentation, that influences the format that you use, how interactive that presentation is, how you structure it to involve them to cause that mind shift, that behavior shift that you want to see. Yeah, what, I, what I'm hearing from you and, and what really resonates with me is each presentation you prepare is bespoke. You know, it's, it's custom yeah. for the audience, for the time of day, for the expertise level of the person. You know, if you present to your kids' middle school class about what you do versus presenting to a board or giving a sales pitch, I mean, to think that you would deliver even a similar presentation is just not, you know, reasonable. Um, So I find that super effective. And I don't think people always think about that. They think, well, this is the information I know. And these are, you know, here's the main point. Here's a couple follow up points. And then they just go and they have no measure of how it's landing on the audience at all. Right. Yeah. And I think that comes from the fact that, uh, sadly, I think we're pretty self-centered as human beings. And so it takes... <laughs> guilty, guilty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, me too. I, I wake up looking at ourselves in the mirror and, and uh, you know, dressing ourselves and yeah, we have our yeah. own plans for the day. And so we just, uh, it's hard to get us to stop thinking just about ourselves and what we want from the audience. But that's the reason that you present in the first place mm-hmm. is it's, it's, it is a form of a dialogue. You know, you're mm-hmm. together in a room or even in a virtual room, and they're, they're the reason that you're there in the first place. Otherwise, you can just send them a memo to read. Uh, and so it, it behooves you to think about what they want to hear, what they need to hear from you, and navigate by that. Now, that can sound like a lot of work. And so I'm not necessarily saying that you can't have some course slides that mm-hmm. fundamentally describe your topic and your idea, but you're going to bookend that. Uh, you're going to open by acknowledging what they want to know, uh, what what maybe they have questions or concerns about. You know, you're going to have a very specific call to action for them, and you should shape how you present that information in the middle, based on what you what specific objections they might have that you need to overcome. You don't necessarily need to tackle every objection that could ever happen around your product or your idea, just the ones that that audience is going to have. Yeah, I'm curious to get your perspective on something that I've I've noticed um, with presentations. You really don't have much time to capture people's attention. Like 
If you lose them in the first 30 seconds, it's really hard to get them back. Not impossible, but really hard. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, how to prepare to really set the right frame like out of the gate, right? Because I feel like that can go a long way because if you can just capture people right out of the gate, that can really help you, you know, every step along the way. Absolutely. And it's more true with online presentations online oh, yeah. again because we're more distractible and we're trying to do multiple things at a time. So our just patience is worn thin. So mm-hmm. presentations are getting shorter, but we also have to engage our audience sooner, like you said. So uh, some research I've seen says that the an audience will lose focus around 10 minutes into a presentation. Now, honestly, that's that can be an eternity. And uh, some audiences are even less, more trigger happy, twitchy than yeah. that. You can lose their focus five minutes in. So for instance, when I'm giving a presentation, I try to have an interaction somewhere within that first five minutes. I might ask uh, a question. I might, you know, you get that's as simple as inviting people to say where they're joining from, which can create a very noisy chat stream, but at the same time, it makes them feel involved right away. And that primes that pump, especially if you're going to involve them later with poll questions or uh, Q&A or other sorts of interactions. Yeah. And and I like how um, in the book, you distinguish between different types of um, modes of presentation, some more interactive than others. And there's not one right way to do it. It's really like you were saying earlier, your strategy and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, Maybe could you share a little bit about your thinking behind that and and the different levels of of engagement based on what you're trying to deliver? For sure. The way I think about it is there are three fundamentally different types of virtual presentations you can give. The first one I call linear. Think of that as the monologue. It's one-way dissemination. It's the stand and deliver presentation. And that makes sense for certain kinds of information. I'm trying to articulate a vision. I need you to, I need to sketch out this whole kind of grand trajectory that I want to take you on. And, uh, and I don't actually want to invite you to critique my vision right now. So this is the CEO and the all hands saying, this is the direction we're going and I'm not open to feedback. And that's often how it's used, right? Or even an explainer video or something like that. So that's the first kind. It's a linear delivery of your message with little or no interaction. Then the second kind is interactive presentation. Mm -hmm. You can think of this as more like the webinar or the panel conversation where there's a little bit more give and take between the speaker and the audience, prescribed moments when we pause and we invite them in, we ask for some reaction or feedback. And then the third type I call the collaborative presentation. And this is really more of the workshop or working session. It's what we use in our uh, instructor-led training at Duarte, where it's multi-way interaction. It's peers to peers, and it's presenter to participants. And they're really almost helping you co-create. They're working together on ideas. And in each of those different situations, there's a different degree of interaction you would have with the audience. There's a different... I'll say sort of appetite that people have for the length, the less interaction, the shorter, the more interaction, the longer. And that's just generally a good rule of thumb. I love that. I love that. Now, I want to, um, since I have a presentation expert with with me right now, I want to share with you um, every presenter's most dreaded moment, which Mm -hmm. is Q&A, right? You know, you, you think you're knocking out of the park, you're 30, 45 minutes, you get to that point, does anyone have any questions? And it's just like, 
crickets, right? So talk to us a little bit about how your team approaches that and, and can make that a better experience for presenters. Because I know for a lot of people, they actually are okay with the presentation piece, whether they're doing it well or not. Yeah. It's the part that scares them is the Q&A because that's like some pretty vicious feedback. If no one asks the question, it's just like, why are we even here? There are two extremes, you're right, that we are afraid of as presenters in that moment. One is that nobody says anything and it's crickets. And it's Mm -hmm. like you're a comedian just dying on stage (laughs) and it's painful. And the other extreme is there's a lot of questions and they're tough ones. And Uh, we worry that we're going to uh, be exposed, right? The imposter syndrome kicks in. And so I have a couple of thoughts about that. One is in that extreme where nobody's asking questions, I would say that maybe you didn't do your best to warm them up. Uh, it, mm-hmm. You know, you need to kind of prime the pump when you want people to interact. So mm-hmm. uh, having that poll question in the beginning, another poll in the middle, or some other uh, kind of interaction will create the muscle and the invitation for your audience to actually engage with you. And then they're more likely to engage at the end. So that's one way to kind of warm them up. Uh, for the other extreme, when they're firing those really tough questions at you, uh, it's it helps to prepare. <laughs> And this is something that I do as a presenter. Uh, I'll, I'll try to anticipate questions that the, they might ask. I, sometimes if I think it's going to be a really tough crowd, I'll role play. I'll invite a friend uh, to do some brainstorming with me and throw some of those questions at me so that I can have a chance to practice. That doesn't guarantee that I'm going to know every question that's going to get thrown at me, but it gets me a little more comfortable uh, with that sort of improvisational uh, approach to my topic. And uh, you can also have a person role play with you the very most difficult question so that you have a chance to kind of think through how you're going to handle that curveball. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. And, and I've had teams in the past where we've had experienced presenters, or, um, and that's exactly what we did, right? We're like, we know this is going to be a tough crowd. Let's anticipate some of the snarkier questions and let's ask them to each other and see what we can come up with. And sometimes there isn't a great answer, right? Sometimes it's just like, yeah, this is really hard. We'll talk about it more. But even just to be able to keep your cool and deliver it in that way and not like a panic way, like, oh my God, I got caught on my back, you know, on my back foot um, is is huge in terms of your confidence and and how you appear to uh, the audience. Yeah. Well, I love that you said that sometimes you don't have the answer. And uh, that's something I think a lot of high level leaders are uncomfortable with. But at the same time, it's a valid answer, especially if you're talking about a really difficult change effort or questions of uh, you know, the stability of the company in the midst of a pandemic. And will we have more layoffs or not? Who knows? Let's watch and see what the economy does. It's a really awkward and uncomfortable position for everybody to be in. But to be honest about the fact that you don't know, it's not entirely certain, but you're watching some indicators and you'll keep the lines of communication open and share updates as soon as you have them. I mean, that's an equally valid answer. So you've used this term a few times in an interview, and I really like the metaphor of, of priming the pump, right? This, mm-hmm. this idea that we can create and, and, and cultivate the type of presentation we have with the audience, the relationship. So talk to us a little bit more about that. I find that a really powerful sort of metaphor. And, and I've noticed when my presentations go better, I'm doing more of that priming of the pump rather than just broadcasting. Yeah, for sure. Well, 
I, I think that effective communication in general rests on that interaction between the sender and the receiver, and uh, and it's a dance. And mm-hmm. if if your presentation isn't going well, it's probably because you either haven't anticipated what how your partner what moves your partner wants <laughs> or will use. Right, going back to planning and thinking about what's important to your audience, or that you haven't given them cues. Uh, you've got to take their hand. You've got to invite them into the conversation by putting again getting that ball rolling ball rolling on the interaction, telling them how you want uh, to get feedback from them, how and when. And I mean, that's simply just around uh, facilitation techniques. Like we're going to take questions at the end. I mean, that's really Mm -hmm. basic, but giving them cues about how you want this conversation to go. And and, uh, that creates more of that uh, interaction, healthy interaction from the start. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, as we were talking earlier about, um, you mentioned the great statistic, you know, that the 10 minute you know, attention span, people might think it's even less uh, based on experience. Um, And one thing that I thought about is I'm like addicted to Netflix. Like I can watch show after show after show and it's similar, right? It's, it's, it's on a screen, right? And they're not interacting with you. They're just basically um, broadcasting. So curious, um, you know, you talk about storytelling in the book as well. And, you know, it kind of dawned on me that, that a lot of what's missing in presentations is that aspect of storytelling, which can really hold your attention over a much longer period. So uh, maybe share a little bit with us sort of your your thoughts and tips on, on the storytelling aspect. Yeah, for sure. Well, there are, there are different ways to use storytelling, but first, why would we even want to use storytelling at all? It's, mm-hmm. it is, uh, our brains are wired for it. Uh, it, it, when we hear a great story, it lights up multiple parts of our brains. You know, it triggers memories, it triggers feelings and physical sensations. And so it's just, uh, it's a more of immersive experience when you tell a story. Uh, And it also uh, moves us. It moves us to want to do something, uh, to think or feel something at the end, even if it is just to watch another episode of the show, right? Or binge watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so story works, it engages people in multiple ways. And so there are good reasons to use storytelling in your presentation. And you can do that by applying storytelling structure just to the presentation Mm -hmm. itself, which I talk about in the book. Every great story has three acts, a beginning, a middle, and an end. A Mm -hmm. beginning when you meet the hero and and uh, learn what their challenge is, what are, what, are, what is the goal that they're trying to achieve. The middle, where they start to try and achieve those goals, but they encounter obstacles. And that creates dramatic tension. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a problem that needs to be resolved. And so it keeps people on the edge of their seats waiting to see how you resolve the problem. And then in the end, uh, there's some kind of transformation in a great story. But in your presentation, it's, it's really the, the promise of what uh, what the benefit, you know, this idea that you've just shared will give your audience and some call to action that will get them kind of relief, you know, get them started down the path. Uh, so that's story structure, three X structure, beginning, middle, end that you can apply to your presentations, but you can also tell stories inside of your presentations, uh, which is another really powerful way to keep people interested and engaged. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and you're starting to hear more of it in trainings in corporate America, but I feel like storytelling is such an underused, misunderstood kind of, yeah. it, it's a superpower. Like people who can really integrate it seamlessly into their, just their conversations even, it's yeah. like, it really serves you well. 
Yeah, I think there's some resistance to it, though, because people still some don't understand what storytelling means in a, mm-hmm. in a business communication sense. They, mm-hmm. you know, they know uh, that story is is something they experience in movies and film, but that sounds fantastical. And are you saying <laughs> that I should, you know, uh, to spin a little, you know, quirky made up tale in my presentation? No, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, so how do we mean story? And that's why I said, you know, storytelling principles and structure are one way to apply but also stories about actual people who have uh, a problem that your product will solve or people in your company who uh, have concerns that you want to address. Uh, Stories are another kind of piece of evidence to back up uh, and and, uh, a data point that you're sharing. There are a lot of different reasons to use story that can uh, add credibility to your communication, but also that emotional appeal. Yeah. Well, one final addition I'd add, and I agree with everything you just said, Patty, you know, if you do it well, people don't even feel like you're telling a story. It's just part of the conversation. It's, it's, it's seamless. So it's only like when you feel like you're trying to tell a story that it, but, but when you've integrated into your sort of way of communication, it, it doesn't feel like that. No one even notices. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hitting on authenticity. Uh, as a communicator is important as well, that that you don't want to put on something that doesn't seem natural to you and it needs to be relevant to the subject, right? And not just an odd aside, uh, but it can enhance uh, the authenticity of, you know, of your presence when you can tell a story well. And especially if it's one about your own experience or something that your team is going through, it, it, it makes you more relatable. So this has been, so amazing. Um, learned so much from your book and from talking to you. Now, for I would say most people I meet are not very confident. I'm not going to say competent because I don't know they're competent, but they're not very confident with storytelling. And, and one tip I would give them is, you know, check out Patty's book. It's got a wealth of really practical um, information. But in addition to that, if you could give someone who's starting out on this presentation journey, right? Someone who's maybe a seasoned professional, but isn't seasoned in presenting yet. Um, What one piece of advice would you give them to really get them headed down the right path as as opposed to the wrong path? Sure. Well, besides reading about effective presenters and effective storytellers, study them, watch them. I'll bet everyone listening has heard of TED Talks has seen a TED talk, may have a favorite TED talk, uh, watch that and, and notice how they're communicating, not just what they're saying, but how did they structure their communication? Did they use a story where? What kind of story was it? How did the audience respond to it? One of my favorite uh, uh, TED speakers of all time was Sir Ken Robinson. Oh yeah, he's good. Amazing, right? And, And he told a story in his talk about how schools kill creativity about a student who had the creativity sort of squashed out of her as a little girl mm-hmm. until a, a, a mentor, actually, which is common in storytelling, another uh, um, therapist stepped in and realized that what she actually is is a dancer. And that's why she was wiggling in class all the time. And she mm-hmm. needed to be put into a program that celebrated, honored, and brought out of her the gift that she was given. And that story was so poignant. And it took mm-hmm. that lofty concept of, you know, uh, schools killing creativity and made it very tangible, very personal, very relatable. And it made me 
more motivated to, to show up differently. You know, if I'm ever in a situation where I'm interacting with kids so that I honor the inherent creativity in them and draw it out of them. I find that tip so interesting and it resonates with me so deeply because one thing that um, people might not know, I don't really tell people this, but when when we were more in the physical space and, and I'd watch people give presentations, right? I'd, I'd see some bad presenters, but every once in a while, I'd see like an amazing presenter, whether it was at the company or whether we brought someone in. And unless I was required to, you know, deep dive on the content, like if it was just more like something inspirational or informational, if the presenter was really good, I would actually do exactly what you suggested. I would, I would actually stop paying attention to the content and I would start taking notes on the how, like, is there all of a sudden their voice went up or they're moving in a certain way, or they took their jacket off or they pulled someone out. Like I would actually take notes on how they were presenting and it's super impactful. And I, and I started to incorporate that into some of my own presenting. Obviously you're authentic, you, you make it your own, but you start to see the principles of effective presentation are less based on personality, but like there's tangible things that people are doing yeah. and working into their presentations that you don't even notice it. It's like the storytelling. It's so seamless. You don't even notice it's happening. Right, right. And you can take that further if you've got some self-awareness about what you personally struggle with or what you're nervous about in, in presentations and watch how they do that thing. So maybe you're nervous, again, like we were talking about, the moments of interaction with the audience or taking Q&A. Uh, really zone in, uh, hone in on how did they handle that part of the presentation? Or if you're nervous about storytelling, how did they tell that story? Take it even another step further. Uh, maybe you can interview them. Or find another person who you uh, re admire or respect as a presenter and ask them, how did you get to this place? Because mm -hmm. I've noticed that you're so confident on stage. What did you do to mm -hmm. develop that confidence? How do you prepare yourself before you go and give a talk? And uh, that, again, is, is using the power of mentorship, which every great hero needs one. So don't be shy about asking for that help and finding someone who can share with you their own journey and getting better. Well, Patty, this has been so delightful. The name of the book is Presenting Virtually, Communicate and Connect with Online Audiences by Patty Sanchez. Um, how can people learn more? Where can they get the book? How can they learn more about you, about Duarte, about the work you do? Um, where should they go? Well, you can go to Duarte's website, duarte.com forward slash presenting hyphen virtually. And there's information about the book, but you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you connected me uh, with me there, Joe, and, mm -hmm. and I do. I accept invitations and that's a, a way to follow uh, things that I publish and learn more about what's coming next from us. All right, well, Patty, thank you so much for being our guest today on Executive Presence Morsels Special Book Review Edition. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another tasty Executive Presence Morsel.